Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group, our roundtable with our partner, Chicago Regional Office of Veterans Benefits Administration, February's Black History and American Heart Month. Today is Saturday, February 11th, 2023. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have a panelist on the line with us. We have Monica Arango. She is a subject matter expert and POW coordinator exam liaison for the Veterans Benefits Administration's Chicago Regional Office. Molly Sakura, she's a regional office Veterans Benefits Administration management analyst and serves on the director's staff. And Roberto Salazar, he serves as a Chicago regional office Veterans Benefits Administration records and information management specialist. He works in the support services division and is a U.S. Marine Corps Iraq combat veteran. We're going to talk about veterans with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or otherwise known as ALS. How are you guys doing today? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having us. My pleasure. Um, my name is Molly Sakura. Uh, like you said, we are here to discuss amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known as ALS, and the ancillary benefits. Today, I will be speaking on the basic eligibility. Roberto will explain how to file an ALS claim and discuss development. And lastly, Monica will go over the rating process and answer any questions. So to start, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, is a neuromuscular disease that causes degeneration of nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord, resulting in weakness, muscle atrophy, and spontaneous muscle activity. Entitlement to service connection for ALS is considered on a presumptive basis, meaning service connection can be granted as long as the veteran has served at least 90 consecutive days on active duty. A veteran is automatically entitled to 100% service connection based on confirmation of diagnosis of ALS by a medical provider, regardless of residuals. ALS may present itself in two ways. First, it may begin affecting the upper body with symptoms beginning with speech impairment, eating impairment, and upper extremity issues, and works its way down. The other begins to affect all extremities, starting with challenges with mobility, lower extremities, bowel issues, and urinary, and works its way up the body. If one of these residual conditions can be independently granted at 100%, Only then can that condition be separated from your ALS diagnosis and thus considered for additional entitlement. Otherwise, all ALS residuals will be included in the service-connected ALS condition. Again, as long as a veteran served the minimum 90 consecutive days on active duty and has a confirmed diagnosis of ALS from a medical professional, they will be entitled to 100% service connection. Roberto will now be discussing filing an ALS claim and development for supporting documents. Roberto? Thank you, Molly. 
Again, uh, so I'm Roberto, and I will be discussing the claims process as it pertains to ALS. Uh, when it comes to ALS or any other claim for compensation, the first thing that is required is an official claim. This can be done by filing VA Form 526EZ, an application for disability compensation and related compensation benefits. When filing our VA Form 526EZ, you can check the box that says FDC program or standard claim process. The difference between FDC and standard is that with FDC, with the FDC program, you are telling VA that you are submitting all required evidence up front. This will essentially expedite your claim. With the standard format, VA will go through the process of gathering everything required to make that decision. A veteran can also file an intent to file, which is a one-year placeholder. This secures compensation paid for an application received within a year. An intent to file can be submitted on VA Form 0966. A supplemental claim can also be submitted. A supplemental claim can be used to reopen a claim or for reconsideration of a previously denied claim. This type of claim can be submitted on VA Form 0995. Regardless of the claim Regardless of how the claim is filed, an ALS claim be expedited. The evidence that VA will need is, first of all, a DD-214 showing at least 90 days of continuous active duty service, and they will also need evidence of a current diagnosis. You can submit this from your private physician, VA physician, um, it just needs to be evidence of a current diagnosis, and the veteran can also submit evidence by a medical provider. Um, I'm sorry, a veteran can also submit the claim, and then we can we can go ahead and request that examination uh, for the veteran. Going from there, let's talk about e-benefits um, because this is a very important part of what VA has done to help veterans expedite their claims in a way electronically. eBenefits is a portal which you can reach by going to www.va.gov and under the disability title, click file a claim for compensation and follow the prompts. Once we have all of that evidence, the DD-214 and showing the 90 days continuous active duty service and the evidence of a current diagnosis, that's really all we need to expedite the ALS claim. From here, I will pass it on to Monica, and she will go ahead and talk about the rating process. Thank you, Roberto, and good afternoon. My name is Monica Arango, and I will be discussing the rating process for ALS claims. Um, as Roberto mentioned, um, the process that is expedited through the FDC process, the fully developed claim, once we receive a claim that already has an examination, we can address the residual disabilities based on the evidence of record at the time that the claim is received. If at the time that the claim is received, the examination has not been requested, then that examination would need to be requested before we can make a decision. The only time that an examination is not required in order to make a decision is typically on an initial ALS claim when there is a confirmed diagnosis received with the initial claim. Once the claim is re reviewed 
we look at where we currently stand with the current evaluation for ALS. So as previously noted, the evaluation for ALS is 100%, regardless of what the symptoms are associated with ALS. So if the symptoms have not developed to the point where they can independently be separated on their own, then they are all associated with the ALS and granted at one single 100%. Once an evaluation reaches 100% independently, they can be broken away from the residuals altogether and all the residuals can be addressed individually. The only time that we can do this is if we have one condition that can stand alone on its own at 100%. Some examples of that are aphonia, loss of use of bilateral lower extremities, loss of use of bilateral upper extremities, and respiratory failure with the required use of an oxygen tank. So those are just some examples of what 100% independently looks like, but there are other uh, entitlements that can be received in the sense of compensation uh, above the 100%, such as housebound. Housebound is an entitlement that can be given when there is one individual disability at 100% and then an additional disability at at least 60% disabling. At it, and that 60% can be a combined 60%. So once we are able to open the doors to grant a separate 100%, that already uh, gives us entitlement to housebound. Typically, when we are able to grant a separate 100%, that means that the entitlement for uh, care is typically higher than that at the housebound level. Sometimes uh, aid in attendance can display itself with the evidence of record. Aid in attendance is the entitlement that is provided when a veteran cannot take care of their activities of daily living. This can be things such as getting dressed, being able to button your buttons, or zipper your zipper, or even being able to independently care for your activities of daily living. Um, so if you need assistance, then that could qualify you for aid and attendance. Now, once the disabilities then progress, they could possibly reach a level where there could be higher levels of aid and attendance. And those codes are typically R1, so it's aid in attendance at the L level, which is basic, aid in attendance at higher level, which is R1, and then there's aid in attendance at the highest level, which is R2. So when we, uh, when we receive a claim for increase, we are looking for entitlements and eligibility for all of these additional entitlements. So you don't necessarily have to claim it, but if you claim it, we are absolutely going to consider all those additional entitlements. So tell me. Uh, once we review the. Oh, go ahead. Go, Did go you have ahead. a question? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say um, once we review the claim and we determine um, the examination information and we, you know, make the decision, then we go ahead and process a rating decision. And then that rated decision gets processed and then it goes out. And I was just going to say that in about two weeks from the time that we make the decision, the veteran typically gets that rating decision. Hmm. No, um, Molly Sakuras, I had a question because you mentioned earlier that it's not for 90 days of active duty service. Is that correct? For, in order to be qualified for to file a claim is one of the qualifications or. Actually, um, to, the, that is correct. I'll go ahead and pick up the questions um, since I'm going to be kind of picking up all of the questions. If um, So if there's something specific, I will hand it off 
to Molly for that. Um, but basically what she had said with the 90 days is that that's basic veteran service. And so the entitlements to ALS, it could be any period of service. So in some entitlements like pension, peacetime service doesn't qualify. In this in this entitlement of presumption, it goes for any period of service. So the only thing that we need to do in order to have a veteran qualify um, is that they have to have a confirmation of veteran service and then a confirmed diagnosis. So, for example, a person could be um, in the National Guard and maybe they they serve two weeks during the summertime, one week during the month, or one uh, weekend during the month. That Those days would add up, could add up to 90 days of service? You know, it depends. But typically when we're talking about 90 days, we're talking about a continuous service, and it's based off of on a DD-214. So when you're talking about guard service or reserve service, when you're going for two weeks or, you know, drill or whatever, it's based on a line of duty. And so in order to qualify for this type of presumption, they would have to have those 90 days. So it it would probably not qualify specifically for the scenario that you're explaining. Now for for ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, does it have, does it have to be military connected in any, or service connected in any kind of way? Or can it be someone who maybe um, developed um, ALS after they got out of the military, but now they have maybe no other resources, so they're going back to the VA to see if they can get aid or help or some kind of benefit? That's a great question, and that's actually what presumptive means. That means that regardless of the service, regardless of what you were exposed to, regardless of you know, it could have had nothing to do with service. We're saying that if you were in active duty and served for at least 90 days and you developed ALS at some point in your life, then we are going to provide compensation for you. Mm-hmm. Now, ALS is a terminal disease, from my, if I understand it correctly. So, it's, so when people get diagnosed with ALS and they come to you for benefits, what are some of the things that you that the VA can provide as far as benefits goes to make that, that, um, that path, an unfortunate path, uh, better for that person. I mean, we have you talked about some things that you know, home and, and aid and attendance at home, things like that. But what are some of the specific things that make a person's life better as a veteran that they can look forward to or get from the VA? Because I know VA has a lot of different benefits that can that are specific that people can take advantage of, like counseling, things like that. What are some of the other things that might be able, they might be able to take advantage of? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so when we consider aid and attendance, um, like I said, that's the special multi-compensation component of it. We're also looking at the overall evaluation. So the evaluation overall is 100%. So with that, we're going to get Chapter 35 and DEA benefits. Um, that is once any veteran reaches 100%, not just ALS, any veteran reaches 100%, we're going to get um, that 100% compensation under DEA Um that benefit for DEA Chapter 35. Also, uh, all veterans who are filing a claim for ALS will also get special adaptive housing and the automat auto allowance. And so what this is, is the auto allowance allows a veteran to um, work with a dealer to convert the vehicle to the adaptations that are required for their needs to use the vehicle. Uh, special adaptive housing is an allowance that is provided to make modifications to the home. Um, there is a benefit called special home adaptation, but special adaptive housing is the greater of the two benefits. So therefore it does not, it's typically not addressed because the special adaptive housing is the greater of the two benefits. Mm-hmm. And and as far as that is, those are the additional benefits that come with ALS. Thank you. <clears throat> Now, is it, now, can they get their home modified? Like, say the person now wants to stay in their own home, 
Is there, is there grants or benefits that allow them to uh, make changes to their home other than their vehicle? Maybe they can make changes to the house they live in. Is that possible? Yes, that's the special adaptive housing benefit okay. that I spoke of. So the auto, there's two separate ones. There's the auto and then there's the housing. So they get both of those automatically. Okay, wow. But then, so when a person is going through the experience, have you had any, um, any connection with people that have been diagnosed with ALS that have gone through this? Um, I actually, so I've been working with the VA for about 12 years, and this law was changed on January 19th of 2012. And at that time, I was actually tasked on this project. So I've actually been working ALS claims since that date of that law changed. So I've actually been able to see, you know, claims evolve. I'm the SME or the special matter expert on site for ALS claims. So I typically see most of them. I work very closely with um, the powers of attorney. I particularly work very closely with PVA um, just because they typically have a large bulk of veterans that they work with. But there are um, different POAs on site that do work with veterans. So um, as we mentioned earlier with the application process, you could do the e-benefits. You also can come into the office. Um, There are our intake center in the front of the office. Um, There's people on site. You can also call the 1-800 number to make an appointment. Uh, The 1-800 number is 1-800-827-1000. They can also go to um, online. We have a visitor engagement report application. So if they don't want to call and they want to make an appointment at the Chicago Regional Office, they can um, go online and schedule an appointment. Uh, And then the other thing is uh, the power of attorneys are also uh, opportunities for people to come and get assistance with their claims. Um, And then back to the question that you had, which was what? Because I feel like I gave you a lot of information and I just want to make sure I answered it. So what the, what the question was mainly, like when you were, you kind of mentioned a little bit, so you work with, you work with people for many years. So when my, the next question was basically, what kind of impact have you seen personally from, from the benefits that people with ALS have gotten from the VA? How does that improve their lives? Got it. What was, what's the feedback you've gotten from the people who actually experienced this? Was it, is it an easy process? And then, my, and then as a follow-up, if you can lead into this, what would you recommend for people with ALS? How, would they, how to get started? What are some of the common mistakes that people make when they file their claims? Yeah. So I think that's really good because I think that with ALS, the first thing is that we really try our best to expedite all ALS claims. So if you're able to prepare all of your documents, like we said, the only things we need are verification of service and verification of diagnosis with a complete application. So if this is the initial time, the first time that you're doing this, gather those documents. If you're trying to gather the documents, file an intent to file. The intent to file is a placeholder. So basically, it'll say from today, you're, you're going to receive compensation from today. So it may take two weeks to get your documents together. But if you have that intent to file today, then we can go ahead and have that as a placeholder to, until they gather the documents. The average turnaround time, I would say, for these claims while in our, in our office is typically like five to seven days. And that's if a claim is fully developed, right? Because 
you know, it has to kind of go through different hands through the development to make sure that everything is done and then to us. But it's usually a quick turnover. If we are hanging on to it sometimes, it's because usually it needs additional signatures. When there's higher levels of aid and attendance, you know, we have to have it go through a couple eyes because we want to make sure that we're doing it correctly. So sometimes it, it lags on the tail end only because we want to make sure that we're providing them the correct benefits, right? And um, as far as what kind of benefits and what has happened throughout the years, I mean, I think that it's terrible. The disease is terrible. I'm very empathetic to it because I can't even imagine what anyone is going through or what their families are going through. And so for me, it's a very high priority to get these cases in and out the door as soon as possible. Um, You know, when we have to set up exams, to follow up with those exams and make sure we get them in. So that's why we say if you can have private medical evidence, there there are the forms online um, where they can download the DB which is the disability benefits questionnaires, which is basically a template of the examination that they could take to their private examiners and they can complete it and then they can submit it to us. Um, You know, the other thing is if you already have ALS, if you're already service connected for ALS and things are not getting better, you know, file a claim, submit that intensive file. You know, I do see that Typically with older veterans, you know, I feel that once they file a claim, they're like, okay, well, I already received what I was going to receive. But then things progress and they don't typically come back, you know. And so I would, me personally, I would love to see people like if things are getting worse, you know, come check it out. Come, you know, file a claim and have us, you know, look out to see what we can get you or how we can help you. Right. And so some of the common mistakes is that um, on an initial claim, the veteran must sign an initial claim. The POA, the power of attorney, cannot sign an initial claim. So that's a common mistake. So to make sure that when you're filing a claim that everything is completed, that all the questions are answered, and that it is a signature of the veteran. Uh, Other common mistake. One point to that. So a person with ALS, it could be progressed to the point where they can't, they don't have use of their hands anymore. Because it's a neurological debilitating disease where you might lose control of your speech, control of your hands, your limbs. But it affects people differently in different ways. But what if that's the situation? The POA still can't sign or a guardian can't sign for them? Um, no. There's actually, if it is the initial and if it, there is the situation, um, the veteran can sign with like an X and then there's like a witness. And so if the proper procedure is completed in that type of a scenario, then there can be the signature of the power of attorney. But we're talking about that is not the situation. There would need to be some type of a signature. So in the case that they cannot use their hands, and obviously that's a part of the disability picture, there has to be an X or some type of um, symbol or something that, like like an attempt to a scribble, something that shows, and then there has to be a witness that would sign off on that. Okay. So then now when, when people go, like we've seen people go through the process, have you, how personally have you seen their lives been improved by what the VA has been offering them or give them, given them? Well, I think I've seen it mainly in the aid and attendance component because it has allowed them to bring people to help them, um, and it's alleviated a lot of the stress of the spouses or the children who have cared for these individuals. Uh, so definitely as far as the aid and attendance benefit to help with the servicing of it, uh, also you know, providing the service for the auto adaptive you know, and adapting the home. You know, adapting anything is expensive in general. So I think that that absolutely has allowed them to, you know, make modifications that to their life that's going to make their life better. And that just to mention for the auto, it is a one time lifetime benefit. So it's a one time change. Okay. 
I just wanted to mention that. Right. Now, when people collect, um, and they're, they're rated dis- disabled, because that's 100% rating on, right off the bat if you have ALS. Um, did I get that right? Yes. Okay, so when that when that happens, can they still collect Social Security disability? Yes. Okay. So, that's so really- when we're talking about benefits, um, when we're talking about Social Security and VA, we're looking at uh, unemployability. So if unemployability is, involved that's when social security benefits and income and that is affected because mm-hmm. a lot of people have the but, misconception uh, but, that but, you can only get one or the other which is but most military situations i mean military veterans benefits situation if you're if you're rated dis- disabled from the va you can still get social security benefits people need to understand that correct that is correct yeah so the, now tell me uh, what made you get involved with this with this type of work how did you personally get um, drawn into being the type of person to hear these types of stories day in and day out and help people in this kind of way because ALS is a very very uh, disability debilitating and a, a kind of the people that even are around them taking care of someone with ALS is very difficult to watch the person that you care about love lose their ability to speak, lose their ability to use their limbs, you know, um, and then people that don't aren't familiar with ALS might meet a person with ALS and not understand what they, what they're going through. Sometimes people, people confuse people with ALS with someone who has a mental disability. When in reality, that person is fully functional, fully intelligent, might have a master's degree, could be a doctor or a lawyer themselves, but they just can't talk or use their body the way that they want, that they would when they were healthy. So how does how does how do you get the gumption and how do you get the the, the desire and the and the and the bravery to go out and and just tackle this for years in and years out? The irony of how life takes us down journeys and paths, right? So I was actually voluntold when no problem, but I. I was voluntold into the scenario and I learned it and then I got engaged into what it was all about. And then I just felt like this was my calling that I needed to help these people and I needed to do my very best every day to expedite these claims. And that's what I've been doing for 12 years. And I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad you're doing it. And like thank said, you. It's, it's hard. It's, people don't realize it's hard. To, this is a disease that, that um, and I don't know how it comes about. Uh, um, if we had more time to talk about maybe that part of it or if we had medical experts to go into that detail. Um, those small details, but it's something that seems like it can strike anybody. And it's so um, comforting because when I read about it in, in older documents from the military, that ALS had to be service-connected. But now you're saying that it does not have to be service-connected. It's, pre- it's a presumptive disease or a presumptive condition that anybody can get help and aid for. And if you have it, and if you, even if you're getting benefits right now, the important thing we got out of this conversation was making sure that you every so often go back and see if you're eligible for more benefits because maybe you didn't get them the first time around. Thanks, you guys, for your That's time. Right. Thank you. Monica, thank you. Thank you. Thank Monica you. Rango, Miley Sakura, Robert Lasalazar. These guys are with the Chicago Regional Office of Veterans Benefits Administration. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you sometime in the future. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.